Amen. Oh, it's good to be with you. Yeah, I apologize if my energy level is a little lower today. Uh, we came back from, from Hawaii and the whole family was sick. And so we've all been tested for flu and for COVID and we were negative on both of those things. And so just a good old fashioned sore throat is, uh, is what we got going on. And so um, I got my, my, um, my throat coat right here and I might be utilizing this stool as well, because I've got this simultaneous back thing going on. I just, you know what? I'm 32, you guys. I'm old. I'm old. It's, um, <laughs> I knew I'd get that from you guys. Yeah, right. There's no sympathy at all. No, no sympathy. I need my, 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 where are my grandparents out here? Come on, like, poor Blake. Oh, I hope you get better. I mean, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Well, I'm glad to be with you. You know, we're in a Christmas series called Do You See What I See? And uh, we've been talking about Christmas from different characters' perspectives. And so thank you, Peter, for for last week. He shared a little bit about the shepherd's perspective. And today we're going to continue looking at another character and seeing Christmas from her perspective. And and I love uh, the Christmas season. It's my favorite holiday. Anybody else out there? Is it your favorite season out there? You know, uh, have any of you began watching Christmas movies yet? Have you been going through all your, your, I think we've watched, uh, it's been fun when you have young kids, you get to introduce them to new movies. And so, um, we introduced my kids to Elf, uh, a couple weeks ago. And there's that scene where he drinks like the whole liter of pop and he lets out this huge belch. And my five-year-old just could not stop laughing. He was laughing his head off. We, we watched The Grinch, uh, the cartoon Grinch. I don't know if my kids can handle the Jim Carrey Grinch quite yet. But uh, that, that's also one of my favorite movies. But, you know, there was a poll recently taken of the top 50 Christmas movies. And out of those 53 were kind of the primary uh, Christmas favorites. And so I want to just do something fun. I want to figure out where, where people are, where people land. The three, I'm going to tell you the top three Christmas movies. And then afterwards, I'm going to have you raise your hand if that's one of your favorite Christmas movies. Okay, so the top three was A Christmas Story. The second one was National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. And the third one was It's a Wonderful Life. And so if you are, if you are in the Christmas Story camp, raise your hand. Let me see your hands. Okay, we've got some Christmas story fans. If you're in Christmas vacation camp, raise your hand. Okay, we got Alan. There we go. My mom. There we go. Got some, some Chevy Chase fans. Okay, now if you're in my camp, it's a wonderful life. Raise your hand. Yes, yes, it's a wonderful life is, a, is one of my favorites as well. But, you know, there's another movie um, on that list that I actually hadn't seen until I got married. It's White Christmas. I had never seen White Christmas until I got married to my wife, and she introduced me to the magic of White Christmas. And uh, now we watch it every year without fail. And if I'm honest, I like the movie, but it's kind of boring, you guys, okay? And uh, there, are, there are songs that I really like in the movie, and then there's songs that I just want to fast forward through. I don't really care about the song Snow, Snow, Snow that they sing on the train. That's like, just, okay, cool. Uh, dancing Cheek to Cheek. I know some of you might love that song. I just, you know, I want to fast forward that song. I love the song Sisters. I love White Christmas, right? But, but the tendency when I watch that movie is to fast forward some of the scenes because I'm just a little bored. I'm a little too familiar with some of those parts. And, and the reason I bring this up is because I think the same is true about the Christmas story. Is that 
if we're not careful, we can bring so much knowledge and awareness to the Christmas story that we're not able to see it with fresh eyes. And as a result, we miss on some of the powerful nuances of the story. And if, if we could somehow approach the Christmas story in a fresh way, I believe we would see some new and interesting aspects of the story. And so that's why we're doing this Christmas series, Do You See What I See? I, I want us to see the Christmas story with fresh eyes. I want us to put ourselves there. And if, if you missed the Chosen episode this last week, that's why I love the Chosen so much is because it's so experiential. And it's like, it's like you forget. When you, see, when you see Mary and Joseph in a manger surrounded by animals and you see the, the circumstances that they're placed in, uh, it, it, you see the Christmas story with fresh eyes. And it gives you a new appreciation for how humble our God is that he would have these humble beginnings as coming in the most vulnerable state as a baby. And so we're going to look at some specific characters in the Christmas story, and we're going to point out some nuances, some plot twists in the story, <coughs> excuse me, that you might not be familiar with. And, and in so, I believe that we're going to see some very helpful, practical, inspiring new insights to this amazing story. And, and we need to re- be reminded how much God loves you and me, that that's what this Christmas story is all about. It's supposed to remind you how much God loves you, that he left heaven and became flesh and wanted to be just like you and I for 33 years, live among us because he wanted us to be with us. He wanted to be with you. God loves you so much. It's what this story is all about. When we look at the Christmas story with fresh eyes, one of the things we see are, are these plot twists to the story that seem highly unlikely if you were making this story up. And so, such as, you know, why doesn't the Son of God get a room at the inn? Doesn't God have connections? Right? Can't he pull a few strings for this? Like, uh, why a manger? Why does God allow Joseph and Mary such a difficult long journey only to be denied a room? Uh, why such humble beginnings? Wouldn't it be better for Jesus to have been born with connections like, like Moses was? Moses grew up in Pharaoh's palace. He was a prince of Egypt. He had, he had connections right away. Don't you think that would have been a little bit better, a stronger story, a stronger beginning for Jesus? It would have gotten everybody's attention, right? Why do the angels appear to the shepherds? Why don't they appear to this prestigious crowd or this connected and powerful crowd? Why do they show up to these lowly shepherds in the field? You see all these things in the story that God has written. You know, when we begin to look at the story with fresh eyes, we begin to realize that we wouldn't write the story this way. You and I wouldn't write the Christmas story this way. And this is an important point because if we're honest, there are times in our own lives when we wonder what God is doing. Why are you writing my story this way, God? Why all these plot twists? Wouldn't you agree? We've probably all had times in our lives when we think, God, why are you writing the story of my life like this? If you've ever been there, and if you haven't, it's probably coming. But the Christmas story is a great reminder that God always writes better stories than you and I ever can. If we could somehow wipe our memory banks clean and ask ourselves to write the story of God's Son, to be brought into the world, I guarantee you that we wouldn't write the story that God wrote. We wouldn't write the story like God wrote this one. 
There's some ridiculous things that happen in the Christmas story. You've got a scandalous pregnancy. You have a husband considering leaving his wife because she's pregnant. You've got a manger, a smelly manger. You've got, uh, you've got, uh, you've got uh, no room in the inn, and it just seems like poor planning. Nobody called Expedia, right? I wonder if someone in heaven is, is getting a lashing because of that. They forgot that oversight. They forgot to book a room at the inn. See, I don't think we would write the story this way. Our stories would involve prestige. They would involve great contacts, heroes, power, things that work out well. And the circumstances wouldn't be as tough as they re- really were. And that's, that's how we would write the Christmas story. And you know how I know that? Because that's how we attempt to write our story. We want our stories to work out. We want our stories to have great circumstances, great connections, great things to happen. We don't plan for divorce. We don't plan for our kids walking out on us. We don't plan for disasters to happen. We don't plan to have no money in the bank, yet our stories all involve twists and turns and things that point our attention back to God so that we would give God our dependence once again. We wouldn't write the Christmas story the way that God wrote it because many times we don't agree with the way that God is writing our stories. We want our stories to be different. God, if you would have just made me a little bit more like this other person, God, if you would have just put me, if, if my beginnings would have been in this area or, or if I would have had more resources from the beginning, God, why are you writing my story the way that you're writing my story? There's plot twists. There's events and circumstances that happen in our lives and they cause confusion and we look up and we wonder, this isn't supposed to be part of my script, God. I wasn't, I, I was supposed to get married by the age of 30. Or I was supposed to be financially stable by now. I was supposed to have experienced my healing by now. I was supposed to be a parent by now. God, this wasn't supposed to happen. And our lives have their own share of confusing twists and turns. And this is where life gets confusing, doesn't it? And the same is true with the Christmas story when you see it with fresh eyes. Perhaps the reason God wrote the Christmas story in such an unusual fashion with lots of twists and turns is that he knew... He knew your life and my life would feature their own ridiculous plot twists, their their own crazy things that happen. Our lives would feature its own crazy cast of characters who go by the name mom and dad or my spouse or my ex or my former business partner or whatever it is. God knew that it would involve these crazy characters in our lives. He knew that. And it's why he wrote the story the way he did. He knows that we live in a broken world. And Christmas is an invitation. It's a reminder that God can be trusted with writing the story of your life. Let me say that again. God can be trusted with writing the story of your life. Today we're going to hear from Mary, someone who knows what twists and turns can look like. This person knows what it's like to be blindsided. She knows what it's like to face drama, uncertainty, fear, confusion. The kind of confusion that deals both with life and with God. And yet, in the middle of this uncertainty, what Mary says is really a gift to you and me. 
And my, my, my hope for you today is that you'll carry these words with you and speak them over and over in your life when you face plot twists and, and changings in your life. These words, I pray, would bring peace in the middle of uncertainty. They would bring hope in the face of fear. They would allow you to see the Christmas story with fresh eyes, to see it in a new light. These words can be a prayer allowing you to see the story with fresh eyes of faith and hope. God can be trusted. God is here. He's on the move. So let's read the Christmas story in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. I'm going to read a few verses and then I'm going to stop. <coughs> Luke 1, 26. I'm going to read through uh, 29. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Verse 29, it says that Mary's greatly troubled. Now, how often does an angel appear to you and tell you that you're highly favored? It would be a bit unsettling, I would think. Now, there's, there's three pretty famous birth announcements in the Bible. Three, three famous birth announcements. The first one is Abraham and Sarah. And a messenger comes to Abraham and Sarah and tells them they're going to conceive and have a son in their old age. And what does Sarah do? She laughs at the messenger. She laughs at the messenger. And then the second birth announcement is Zechariah and Elizabeth when they're going to have John the baptizer. And a messenger comes to them and tells them they're going to have a baby in their old age. And what does Zechariah do? He doubts. He's like, no way. And his voice is taken from him. He goes mute until John the Baptist is born. And then this is the third birth announcement. And Mary's response to what the messenger says is very different than the first two responses. The first two respond with disbelief. They don't trust God. But look how... Mary responds in verse 30. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you're to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asks the angel, since I am a virgin? Now, Mary asks a pretty good question. It's a pretty great question, I think. How will this happen since I'm a virgin? And so what Mary understands is that this news has instantly put her life in jeopardy. Ta-da! Here's a message from the Lord. This is what the Lord has for your life, but this is going to put your life in jeopardy. Why? Because Mary understood that in those days, women who were unmarried and became pregnant could have been stoned to death legally. Legally, they could have been stoned to death. And this isn't necessarily good news to her, especially as an unwed teenager. But Mary, Mary knows that this, this thing that God is telling her is, is going to require her to be uncomfortable. It's going to require her to step out of her comfort zone, to do something that she's never done before, to trust God with everything. Has God ever told you something in your life that shook you up? 
Has God ever given you an assignment or told you to do something that shook you up? I remember when God called Christina and I to pastor a church. And, you know, we, 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 God wanted us to leave this, this great job, this great church full of friends and family and stability and familiarity. Like God wanted us to leave all of that. And we had no idea what was next. And, and he wanted to plant us somewhere else to lead a church. And then COVID happens three months later after we hear this voice from God telling us that we were supposed to leave. And we go, God, are you still wanting us to do what you asked us to do? And it required us to trust even more. And, and eventually all the answers to prayer just started pouring in. God was faithful. We, we needed family to come and be with us. And my parents and my grandmother just decided they wanted to move to Afreda with us. We, you know, the finances opened up, the house opened up, thing that, that we fell in love with the people here, the council, and, and God just began to put the pieces into place. And we knew that God was wanting to make Afreda the next story and the next chapter of the story in our life that he's writing. Let's continue reading verse 35. What happens next? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the most high will overshadow you so the holy one to be born will be called the son of god even elizabeth your relative is going to have a child in her old age and she who is said to be unable to conceive in her sixth month for no word from god will ever fail no word from god will ever fail some of your translations say for nothing is impossible with god if you find yourself in an impossible situation today, maybe, maybe you look at the bank account and things just are not adding up. Maybe you're looking at this Christmas season and, you, and you've got children and, and, and you're, worried about, you're worried about finances. Maybe you have a relationship that's torn apart. And you think that it's never going to be fixed. It's never going to be mended. Maybe you're facing, uh, you're facing sickness in your body. You have a family member that's facing sickness in their body, whatever it is. I want to point you to what Mary does next. She speaks a prayer of faith over her situation. And it's this very prayer that I want to give you today. This comes straight from a perplexing plot twist. A virgin teenage girl is pregnant with God's son. It's crazy. You see, you look at the Christmas story and everything is all silent, night and calm and bright. But you look closer in this crazy plot twist and Mary begins to step toward all of that. She steps toward, she steps into that, and she says this sentence, this prayer, which is a gift to you and me. If you have a pen, highlight this next part in your Bible, underline it. Verse 38 says this, I am the Lord's servant. May your word be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Mary doesn't laugh at what the messengers say. Mary doesn't doubt what, what, what the messenger says. She says, I am the Lord's servant, and whatever you want to do, whatever you want to write in my story, let's, let it be done. Let it happen. God, whatever you want to do with my life, let it, let it be done with my life. It's interesting that Jesus prays a similar prayer on the cross, right? Or before going to cross. He says, God, if there's any way to take this cup from me, but then he says, but not my will, your will be done. We see this in his mother, Mary. At the very beginning of it all, she says, God, whatever you want to do with my life, let it happen. 
I want to ask you today, how do you respond to uncertainty and to fear? How do you respond to uncertainty and fear? Has fear ever stopped you from doing something that God has asked you to do? Perhaps you've been afraid to have a conversation with someone in your life. Maybe you've been afraid to start a new business idea that, that you've been given or afraid to give it all to Jesus. God is calling you to give it all to him, but you're afraid to give it all to Jesus because you know that it means reorienting your life's priorities. Maybe it means ending that relationship that you've had for years. Maybe it means coming to terms with an addiction, facing that addiction head on, whatever it may be. I think that fear has, uh, has been a theme in the last couple of years, hasn't it? Our world has been succumbed. Uh, it's, been, it's been torn apart by fear. Fear of getting sick, fear of, of politics, fear of what the world looks like and, and the world that our kids are growing up in. Fear has kind of been a theme in these last couple of years. Did you know the first time that we see someone afraid in the Bible is in the very beginning, Genesis chapter 3. Is It's after Adam and Eve eat of the fruit of the tree. They disobey the word of God. They disobey what God said was true. And what happens? God comes strolling into the garden, looking for Adam and Eve. Adam, Eve, where are you guys? And Adam comes and he says, I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. I was afraid because I felt shame. I was afraid because I was naked. So, so I hid. You see that fear was a, is a direct result of sin. Fear is, is a result of the fall. Fear is, is a result of not trusting what God said was true. You understand that fear comes when you do not trust what God said is true in your life. God said, don't eat of this fruit, for if you eat it, you will surely die. And what happens? They disobey the word of God and they instantly experience fear. Because they did not trust what God said was true. I heard someone once say that fear is faith, but faith in the wrong thing. Fear is faith in the wrong thing. Fear is a result of sin. Fear causes someone to hide and isolate from others. Fear causes us to rely solely on ourselves. And we think to ourselves, I've got to get this figured out. I'm going to do this on my own. I'm going to, I'm going to make things better. And we scramble and we try to, we isolate ourselves, we distance ourselves from people and we try to fix things on our own. I have to get myself out of this mess. So we can react in fear to the circumstances of life when plot twists come, when things come in our life. And, and let me say that not every plot twist is from God. Yes, God redeems our story and he writes it all. God, God knows the end. He knows the beginning of our story. He knows the end. He knows where he wants to take us. Some of the plot twists in our story are a result of our own sin, the result of the things that we've done. But God redeems it all. God uses it all for those who love him, for those who trust him. And when those unexpected twists and turns come, we can respond in fear or we can react in faith. When you want to hide from God and from others, when something seems too much for you, you can respond in faith by trusting what God said is true and will never fail. The best possible advice that I can give you today is to speak Mary's prayer 
over your life. God, I am your servant, and may it be done to me according to your word. God, I am yours. I am, I am here for you. I'm here to serve you, and whatever you want to do with my life, let's do it. Whatever plans I've made for myself, whatever story I'm trying to write for myself, I give it to you, God, and I want you to write the story of my life because I know that you can do a better job than I can do. This was incredibly confusing to Mary. In fact, I'm sure that for 33 years, it was confusing for Mary, all the way to the cross. And things get really interesting the following Sunday after the cross. Let's be honest, Mary had a wonderful, crazy ride. But the thing that sustained Mary was remembering what the Lord had spoken over her. And she leaned into this. She leaned into the promise of God, into what God had said. And she said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be done to me according to your word. Here's the bottom line, church. Here's what I want you to take home. And if you're taking notes, you can write this down. It's this. When you don't understand what God is doing, remember what God has spoken. When you don't understand what God is doing, remember what he said. Remember what God said. When Joshua is standing in front of Jericho, a messenger came to him and said that I have given you this city. And so Joshua stood on that word as he's circling. I'm sure he would, he would circle that city and go, what are we doing? This is crazy. Why are we, why are we circling the city? This is, this is not a battle tactic. What are we doing? Joshua could stand on what God had said. That I have already given you the city. Just do what I say now, Joshua. Trust me. Trust that I'm writing the story. And then it's going to work out. When Gideon was facing thousands of Midianites, he stood on what God had said. A messenger came to Gideon and said, I will defeat them all. Not one will be left alive. You will have a victory, Gideon. He told him, it's done. God said, it's finished. I've already written the end of the story. Now you can trust that I'm going to finish. I'm going to bring it to its fulfillment. When David was running from his life, from Saul, and waiting to be king, he stood on the promise that God had already anointed him to be the next king. God had already planned for him to take the throne of Saul, and so he could patiently wait for God to make the next move. He didn't have to take matters into his own hands and write his own story by taking Saul's life in the cave that night. Instead, David stood on the word of God saying, you know what, the Lord's timing is best. He's going to write the story how he wants to write it so I can trust in what God is doing. In the book of Acts, Paul is, is, uh, experiences a shipwreck. And the Lord spoke to him before the shipwreck and said that nobody would be lost. That everyone would live, everyone would survive the shipwreck. And Paul anchored his hope in the word of the Lord. This is what God has said. This is what is true, and I can believe in it. And it got him through that shipwreck. So what, what has God spoken over your life? What are some of the things that God is speaking over you today? Well, when you read his word, it's just full of promises, full of full of the things of God that, that he says over you. <clears throat> you know, there's often times where we feel alone and we feel abandoned, but we can read God's word and we, we know that God says that I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. 
There's times when we feel filthy. We feel guilty. And we read scripture and it says that I'm a child of God. That I'm God's workmanship. The Bible says I'm totally and completely forgiven. It also says that you're God's child. It says that you're Jesus' friend in John 15, 15. It says I'm a whole new person with a whole new life. The Bible says I'm a place where God's spirit lives. I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit. I am totally and completely forgiven. I'm created in God's likeness. I'm a citizen of heaven. I am greatly loved. This is what the Lord says about you. And it should be the basis of how we view our stories and our circumstances, our lives, in the midst of every possible twist and turn and plot, whatever comes our way. We should be viewing our lives through this lens that this is what God has said about me. But the enemy comes and he causes us to question what God has said about us, doesn't he? He comes and he tries to, well, yeah, okay, he said that. But that was kind of a blanket statement for everybody else. You're kind of a special case. You've got some real special sin. You've got some real special faults in your life. You've made a real mess of your life. And the enemy tries to convince us that, yeah, those words are for everybody else, but they're not for you. Those words are for you. Those promises are for you. You're loved by God. You're a child of God. You're in the presence of God. You're forgiven by God. When we, when we remember and live by these words, we can join Mary and say this prayer as well. May it be done to me according to your word, God. Whatever twists and turns come, whatever you have for me next, wherever you want to put me, whatever you want to do with my life, I know that I'm your child. I know that you love me. I know that all things work out. All things, God works all things for good for the benefit of those who love him. God, I trust you. Now, this is a very short list of statements that God has said over you. When the plot twists come, when the sudden turn of events happen, who will you trust? When decision time comes, and you can follow Jesus or you can follow the crowd, who will you trust? Will you start writing your own version of how things will end? Or will you trust God? Will you respond in fear or are you going to react in faith? You know, the people of Israel, they knew what uncertainty and what fear looked like. And the, the people of God, they were taken captive by Babylon and at this time that they were taken captive by Babylon, there were many false prophets that were coming, and they were just trying to make everybody feel at ease, trying to calm the people of Israel. And these false prophets came after the people of God are being taken away to Babylon, and these false prophets are coming, and they're saying, oh, don't worry, it's not going to last long. Don't, don't, don't pack big bags. You could pack light. We're not going to be in exile for very long. We'll be back before you know it. Don't worry about what's happening. That, that, that exile isn't really a long part of God's plan for your life. So just, just take comfort in the fact that, and they were giving all these false words to the people, trying to make people feel at ease. But then God raises up a real prophet. His name was Jeremiah. And Jeremiah told God's people the truth. He said, no, you're going to be here for a long time. You're going to be in exile for 70 years. He says, but take hope. Jeremiah told the people in chapter 29, he says, build houses, 
settle down. Marry. Get married and give your children away in marriage and, and grow crops and, 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 and seek the prosperity of the city. Because this is what God is writing in your story. So take hope. And then Jeremiah goes on to write one of the most famous verses that people know in the Bible. It says, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me and when you seek me with all of your heart. God, God, God raises up this prophet Jeremiah to say, yes, this is part of God's story for your life. You are going to be in exile for 70 years. Uh, you're, you're not going to be coming home for a while. But here's what God says, that you can trust that he has plans for your good to prosper you, not to harm you. You can trust that God is doing a good thing, that God has good plans for your life. God was saying to the people, I know you're afraid. I know you don't know what's happening, but trust that my plans for your life are good. They're not harmful. I think God wants to speak these words over you this Christmas season. He wants you to know that he's got good plans for your life. That whatever you find yourself this Christmas, whatever circumstances you're going through, whatever crisis that you may come to, know that God's word says that you are loved. That we are to lean into him. We're supposed to respond in faith instead of reacting in fear. So don't isolate don't run away from God. Don't run away from people, but lean into the promises of God that he has good things ahead for you. Lean into his word. Spend every moment, every morning in the word of God. Spend time in quiet prayer with his presence, seeking God's face. When we see the Christmas story, all is calm and all is bright. It sometimes distances the story from reality. And I'm going to ask Mary to come up and play as, as we close here pretty soon. But when we see the Christmas story through the eyes of a trusting teenage girl who's been given unbelievable news, and in the middle of it, she speaks faith and promise over that news, that's when we find the Christmas story as personal, as relatable, as helpful. That it wasn't all is calm, all is bright, everything is perfect. Oh, how wonderful our Savior is here. It was, it was chaos. It was a little bit of chaos. God was writing the whole story, though. Today, as we close, I want to spend some time praying for those of us who are facing a plot twist of uncertainty in our lives. And I want to pray for God to do what only He can do, to bring hope and strength and peace and at the conclusion of this time, I'm going to ask us to pray this simple prayer together. We're going to pray together. I am the Lord's servant. May it be done to me according to your word. Can you stand with me, church? Jesus, I thank you for every person here. I thank you, God, for the gift of Christmas. Lord, I thank you that out of all the ways to come, out of all the ways to write the story, you chose the humblest way. The, the way that was full of the most humanity, the, the, the way that was full of the most, uh, something that we wouldn't write, God. We would never think about it. 
so grateful, Jesus, that you decided you wanted to be with us. You left heaven's throne to be with us. And Father, I pray for those in this room who are experiencing anxiety and fear, loneliness, shame in this season. Christmas is for you. The story of Christmas is for you. Jesus, what he did is for you. God, I pray that we would trust you. We trust you with the story of our lives, knowing that, yeah, we can try to write our own stories, but it wouldn't be even remotely as good, remotely close to what, what you have for the story of our lives. If we would just give it to you. Oftentimes we want to grab the pen out of your hand and say, God, I don't like what you're doing. I don't like what you're writing. And God says, just wait, because I'm the author and the finisher. What I began, I will complete. I will do a good work. And so, Father, we trust you that you're good and that you have good things in store for us. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. So together, let's say, I am the Lord's servant. One, two, three. I am the Lord's servant. May it be done to me according to your word. Ready? May it be done to me according to your word. One more time. I am the Lord's servant. May it be done to me according to your word. Jesus, we thank you and we trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I love you, church. Merry Christmas. We'll see you next week as we uh, talk again about another character in the story.